while. We're actually in a journey as a church. Um, we have a desire, like you heard me say, to be disciples making disciple makers. And so we, we've decided that we're going we're gonna to commit all the way to making disciples. And, and so we're on a three-year journey now. We just started uh, just a, about a month and a half ago uh, with the first module. And we're going through all these modules that we think are, are things that make up the disciple, make up someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And this first one is called Understanding Redemption. And this, uh, this will end at the end of November, and then we'll go into the Elf series, and we'll start the next module in January. But, but we have this desire to make disciples, and it's not just because we want to, uh, we want to fill your heads with knowledge, but, but we firmly believe that a disciple is someone who goes into the community and makes a difference. You know, as we're going to talk about, uh, just like Jesus did, he got into the mess and He redeemed us out of the mess. And as those who have accepted Christ, those who are following Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility then to get into the mess and to redeem people out of the mess. Um, and that's a, that's, that's a core principle for us as a church. We, we will not, we refuse to sit on the outside of this world and, and judge from the outside. We're going to get on the inside and see what difference we can make from the inside, and that's a passion of ours. And we're going to see this morning just how Jesus Christ did that in a very, very real way. If you have uh, your notes, hopefully uh, you've got a, a set of notes. We pass out a set of notes every week that we call the Daily Disciples Guide, and it's a guide that we can walk through the week after the sermon, uh, talking about on Monday what we talked about today, and then the rest of the week is preparing for next Sunday. So there's a place for you to take notes. My computer broke on Friday night, so I don't have anything for you on the screen. I'll do my best to let you know when we're filling in a section of notes so you can fill that in, but uh, uh, make sure you have those out as we go through this section. Jesus Christ. We started with, with God creating everything. God knows everything. God created truth, and we had the illustration of the chair, and there's a chair uh, that, that is the example of how truth cannot move, truth cannot change. God created truth, and where, where God created truth, and we need to, we need to live by that truth and, and guide our lives by that truth. So that was kind of the first week. And then, um, then we talked later on about uh, Adam and Eve creating God's image, how all of us in here have dignity and worth and, and value because we're all created in the image of God. So, so no matter how worthless we feel on any given day, God has created you with tremendous worth and tremendous value. And then we talked about the fall and Adam and Eve, and they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, and so everything went wrong. And since that point, there has been just this ache for peace in our world. The world has been um, uneasy. The world has been unsatisfied. The world has been without peace ever since Adam and Eve decided to disobey God in that way. And so, so we kind of talked about that. And now this week we're going to talk about how all of that aching and all of that longing is going to be fulfilled in the peace that Jesus Christ brings. You've probably heard this before if you've been around church circles. If not, uh, let me introduce you to this idea this is the quote we'll focus everything around this morning. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to make bad people good. He came to this world to make dead people live. This is a, com this is a, a huge misunderstanding of the church. This is a huge misunderstanding of what, of what Christianity is all about because so much of it seems to be focused and based on the rules that we're supposed to live by, and it's not based on the fact that we were dead, and now Jesus redeemed us out of that death and brought us to life. Ephesians 2.1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All of us being sinners, that's not a real popular thing to say, welcome to 6-8 Church, <laughs> We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We were all dead in our sins. 
And then Ephesians uh, 2, verse 4 and 5 says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And the ultimate goal then of Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not our behavior. The, the ultimate goal of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not so that we would obey all the commands. The ultimate goal, goal was reconciliation. It was redeeming ourselves and to be in a right relationship with Him. It's redeeming our souls. Jesus died to set us free. Jesus rescued us from a life of desolation, a life that was, that was dead, that was full of the stench of sin. Not to correct our behaviors, to correct our standing. To provide a way so that we could be in a relationship with the God of the universe, the God that created us in the beginning in His image. We could be back in that state of peace with Him. But if Jesus came into this world not to make bad people good, but to make dead people live, what really does that mean? Um, I'm glad you asked that question, because I have some pages of notes to answer it this morning. First, we need to start with what redemption is. What is redemption? One of the most popular movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption, right? Uh, I was going to show the scene, but I figured um, it's probably not the best, uh, the best material for, for Sunday morning church service, so I'll just kind of explain it to you instead. Uh, but there's, there's the scene, the ultimate scene of his redemption in the movie. You know what I'm talking about? He's been, he's been working on that hole in his wall for months, if not years, and slowly emptying the wall into the, into the, into the wreck yard outside the prison. And finally, everything falls into place. There's a thunderstorm, um, and they're in Ohio, so that's actually possible that there was a thunderstorm um, but there's a thunderstorm, and he goes, and he climbs down this rope, and he finds the sewer pipe. And uh, as, as he looks and watches the lightning flashing in the sky, he takes a rock that he had found, and, and he cracks open the sewer pipe, and sewage spews all over the place. And then he crawls into the sewer pipe for 500 yards, crawls through the sewer pipe to his freedom because he was wrongfully convicted. He actually was not guilty of what he was in prison for. He's the only innocent man in Shawshank. He crawls to his freedom through 500 yards of that. <laughs> and I wanted to show it because it's such a picture. Yes, it's a picture of, of, of Andy Dufresne's freedom, and, and, and it's a great story, but, but it's such a picture of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. See, the world was fallen and broken, and, and then here comes Jesus into the mess. Jesus comes into the mess, and He crawls through the tunnel of our gross, disgusting mess, and He gives us redemption. Redemption means to free someone from bondage. That's why it's called the Shawshank Redemption. And He was getting set free from his bondage. He was wrongfully accused, and he was getting set free. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. It involves the paying of a ransom. It involves paying someone to set someone free, and that price is what makes redemption possible. The Israelites were, were redeemed from Egypt, so when they got out of Egypt, that was their redemption, and we have the opportunity, the possibility to be re redeemed from the power of sin and the curse of the law through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he did for us on the cross 
and that is the price with which He then buys us. Now, we sang this, this song just a little bit ago that talks about this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was perfect. He was born perfect. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life, and yet God put the sins of all of humanity on Him so that we could become the righteousness of God. We're going to be focusing in two places this morning, John chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can pull that out. If you don't, you can get out your phone and go to John chapter 8. That'll be where we start. And while you're there, if you want to check in on Facebook and let the world know you're at 6-8 Church, the band rocked this morning. You love the coffee. <laughs> Pastor's kind of a little bit of a weirdo, but everything else is great. <laughs> Let the world know you're here. John chapter 8, verse 31. It is good coffee. Just in case you didn't know, land of a thousand hills. That's also a, a, a justice thing for us. We buy above fair trade coffee out of Rwanda. And that's a different story for a different day. John chapter 8, verse 31. At the beginning of John chapter 8 was, is the famous story of Jesus and rescuing, redeeming, or you know, saving the woman who was caught in adultery and everyone was ready to stone her. And, and Jesus gets down and writes in the sand. You may have heard that story before. And, and he says to, to the woman at the end, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. And then Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. And that's kind of how we start off this chapter with this picture of grace and this wonderful picture. And then later we get to uh, this discussion that's going on between Jesus and some of the Jews, some of the, some of the religious leaders of the time. And Jesus says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now pay, that's, pay attention to that because that's what we're talking about, being disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a phrase we've heard many, many times used outside of Christianity a lot. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They don't know their history very well. They don't know that they've been slaves of somebody a long time ago, but still. Um, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's that phrase again. And now he's going to get into their argument a little bit. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Jesus is talking about how when he came from heaven, he was in the presence of the God of the universe, and he's talking about what he experienced from that father's presence, and, and the Israelites are talking about what they have heard from their father, and now they reply to that. Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Now, what did Abraham do? We talked about this last week, right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Remember that? We talked about how Abraham had a belief in God and the promise of God. 
and the covenant that, that God made with Abraham, he believed it, and that was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's our ultimate goal. It's what we're talking about. That's why we're trying to become disciples, is so that we can have that same righteousness. So Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Just basically spit in their face. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. Now it gets great. You're going to love this next part. Um, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. You can hear their self-righteous indignation. And The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. So get ready for it. I have not come here of my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Boom, just. And you carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. And now the rest of the chapter says that they got ready to stone him and Jesus slipped away in the crowd. He was a very smart man. He knew when to get out of the situation. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and they're claiming that Abraham is their father. And Jesus says, no, your father's the devil. You're trying to kill me, so that, that shows me, that proves to me that your father is the father of this world, the murderer, the liar of all liars, the one who speaks the language of death, the one who speaks uh, the language of lies, and you can't understand the tongue that I'm speaking in, you can't understand the language that I'm speaking in because I'm telling the truth, and so you can't understand the truth because all you know is how to talk in lies. It's talking about the, the language of this world is the language of deception, and the language of God, the language of, of creation is the language of the truth. And it's so easy to get caught up and entangled in the lie because that's the language we were born into, that's the language we know how to speak. But the truth is the real language, it's our real tongue that we're supposed to be speaking in all of eternity, and that's the voice that we need to listen to. Right now, we, we are in bondage to the lies of this world. Right now, we, we are in bondage to the lies. We're slaves to sin. Let's go back to verse 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's in your notes. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're in bondage. We're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to the lies of this world. We're in bondage to the death that exists and currently rules this planet. We're in bondage to that. We need to be set free of that. So, so we're, we're, every one of us who sins, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. We're in bondage to that. We're slaves to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. That's the next thing in your notes. A slave has no permanent place. We know this from history, right, that there is no slave that has a permanent place in the family, that, that you don't have to look very hard in our, in our very misguided understanding of slaves and our abuse of people who were created in the image of God and had dignity because they were made in the image of, of their creator, how we treated them in our country's history hundreds of years ago. 
They didn't have a permanent place. They didn't have any, any uh, they were not heirs to the kingdom or heirs to the plantation or heirs to what the sons had. Slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs forever. It's the next thing in your notes. A son belongs forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, and we need to stop and picture this a little bit because I've read over this for years and years and, and never really stopped to, to imagine it. Jesus is talking about himself coming into this world. He's talking about how he's coming into the, the, the mess and the filth and the disgusting nature of this world, and he's coming in to redeem it, right? That's why he's coming in. We know that's what we're talking about. That's what the spoiler is about today. Jesus redeems the world. It's all done. He's coming into the mess to redeem it. How did he do that? Well, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's close. A few more chapters, you'll be there. Slaves to sin. What happens when you're a slave? Right? You're, you're abused, you're mistreated, you are used. You're used to accomplish something. You're used to get something done for somebody who doesn't care about you. All they care about is if you're producing for them, right? We've talked about this for, for a while over the, over the course of the last several weeks. Slaves are used to get something. When the slave is no longer able to produce what needs to be produced, then they find a new slave, right, who can do more work. That's what happened. That's how, that's how slavery works. And so we've talked about how this world doesn't care about you. This world has no desire to, to uh, see you succeed and grow in love and to grow in peace and to flourish. All this world has for you is what it can get out of you. And when it stops getting things out of you, it's going to move on to the next person where it can get something else out of you. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to this world. We're slaves to the things of this world that, that have trapped us for centuries. So here we are, we're, we're slaves to sin, we're slaves to the liar of liars, we're slaves to a murderer, we're slaves to, to this thing that has entrapped us, that is speaking a language that we understand, but we're slaves to it, and we need redeemed for, from it. What happens? A son has no permanent place in the family, or a, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He became sin who knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. We were slaves to sin, right? We were slaves to sin, and Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So here, Jesus Christ comes down from his throne in heaven, and he puts himself on this earth, and he walks on this earth, and he lives, and he breathes, and he's crucified, and here he steps in front of our master's sin, and he becomes it. He becomes sin. He steps in front of the, the one who has been controlling us and manipulating us, the one who has an evil plan for us. He steps in front and he becomes sin. 
He's perfect and holy. He has nothing to do with sin, and yet he carries the weight of all of our sins. He steps in front of sin and becomes sin himself. Why? So he can set us free. He becomes sin so that he can set us free from the slavery of sin. He became sin so that, so that he could step in front of that, that dictator that we live under, that, that bondage that we live under. He steps in front of that, and he sets us free. And the great thing we're going to talk about next week is how he actually adopts us into his family as sons. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. That's good news. Jesus Christ sets us free, steps in front of sin, gives us that freedom. Why can't we hear or understand Jesus' words? It's probably because we're deceived by the lies of this world. We're in bondage to a slave master, and we can't hear the truth. We're under the, the dictatorial rule of somebody who has no desire for our, our goodness has no desire for anything good to happen to our life, has only a desire for what can happen for him or for the world through us. So we can't see that we're in bondage. We think this world has everything we need. Mark 10, 45 says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I think, I think we as, as those who put our faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who, who believe in the redemption and the redeeming work that Christ did on the cross, we have this immense responsibility. We have this burden. We've talked about this at length many times, this verse. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, the one involved in the creation of the world in which he's walking on, comes and he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. In fact, I didn't just come to serve you. I came to give my life as a ransom for you. Do you understand just how contrary this is to, to all the other religions of the world, to what every other religion of the world teaches? That the, that, the, that the God we are to worship would humble himself, become obedient to the most embarrassing, humiliating death anyone could ever experience so that we could be set free from the slavery of sin. So everything else, all the other world religions, they're trying to get you to earn your place, to get you to earn your way to whatever they're trying to get you to through a right moral code. They're trying to get you to, to change your life so that hopefully if you do enough good, if you give them enough money and if you give them enough of your time and if you promote their, 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 their religion enough, then you can finally earn your way into the kingdom. But here, it's, it's exactly the opposite. It has nothing to do with earning. In fact, you cannot earn grace. It cannot be earned. It has to be given. 
he became sin who knew no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. We have this responsibility. We have a burden we've got to carry out. We've got to get in the mess. We've got to get in the filth. We've got to get down in the muck and the mire of, of this world that is surrounding us, and we have to go, and we have to go and redeem those who are stuck in it, who are trapped in it, who don't know because they're blind to it, and we can see that they have so much more that they could be living to if only they would stop listening to the lie and believe the truth. Jesus Christ didn't come to be served. He came to serve, and he set the example for us so that we now have the responsibility then to go into the world to get dirty, to get messy, to get filthy, to go to those places that no one wants to go and to redeem those who are lost. In just a minute, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask Jim if the guys will come and start to pass out the elements for communion. I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 9. If you want to go there, flip over there on your Bible or Look it up on your screen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Disciples making disciple makers who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's what we're trying to be. That's what God has called us to be. That's what he paved the way for us to do through his sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. There's a lot here we don't have time to get into. For that, you're probably thankful. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly unclean. I couldn't get through it because it's just such a, a stark contrast to anything we've ever really experienced in life, right? The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So this is, kind of, this is talking about, he's talking about the Old Testament and how in the Old Testament they would make these sacrifices on a regular basis so that they could you know, uh, cleanse themselves, so that they could be outwardly cleansed of the sin that they had committed. There's a lot to that we can't talk about right now. Verse 14, how much more then... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So if the, if the sacrifices of the Old Testament were able to only cleanse outwardly, how much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse internally our consciences from the acts that lead to death, that lead us back into the bondage, back into the slavery, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Verse 15, we've talked about that a lot last week, how we're living under a new covenant now. The old covenant has been fulfilled, and now we have the new covenant, which is with Jesus and, and his shed blood on the cross. For this reason, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. More about that next week, how now that we are sons and daughters of, of the God of the universe, we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant now that he has died as the ransom to set us free. Do you hear that? That's redemption. Christ died 
as the ransom to set us free from the sins that we committed. Verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's in your notes if you want to write that down. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There's this thing called the Roman road that I want to share with you as we prepare for communion. Take some passages out of the book of Romans and and walks through this story of redemption that we're talking about. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. We've talked about that. We all know that we're not righteous. We're not perfect. No one in here has been without sin their entire life. We've all done something wrong. We've all committed a sin of some kind. No one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned, all of us. And we fall short of the glory that God has in mind for us. We cannot live up to it on our own. We, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as, th- just as through one man sin entered the world, it's talking about Adam. Adam and Eve sin entered the world through their disobedience and death through sin. Death came into the world through their disobedience their sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So because they sinned, we are all sinners. We're all under the same curse that we talked about last week. So what is the price then for sin? Price for sin is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin is death. Here's our verse from last week. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes. The heart believes. With the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. Even though we were undeserving, we hadn't done anything to deserve the love that he was going to show on that cross, he died for us. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. That was our price to pay. That was, the, that was the debt that we owed. And then somebody stepped in front of us and paid the price to ransom us from our sin. There was nothing that we could do. There was no hope that we had to rescue ourselves. We do not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to find salvation. Only God can reach down into the muck and mire and lift us up and give us salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And unlike the law and the Old Testament covenant, like we talked about last week, how, how the priests had to go in and offer again and again and again the sacrifice. They had to keep offering the sacrifice over and over and over and over again to try to be cleansed from sin. This is entirely the opposite. Jesus Christ died once and for all mankind. He died once and it was done. One time on the cross and we all have forgiveness if we choose to believe. 
God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was going to talk about the cross and the, and the pain and the suffering Jesus went through. But instead, I want to share with you this one idea. See, a lot of the talk is, is about the law and those who are under the law. And a lot, it seems like a lot of times that can be confusing because we're not Jews, you know, we're not Israelites. We weren't ever really under the law that the Jews were under. And so, so what is it, why do we need to be set free from that? First, it's the moral law that God established. And when we live by God's rules, everybody uh, enjoys life better. But uh, that's way back. But on the, on the cross of Christ, we see this amazing, this amazing thing happen. You see, the Jews couldn't put anyone to death. They weren't allowed to put anyone to death, but the Romans had this torture that they had been perfecting, this torture device that they had been using for years. And, well, the Romans aren't Jews. They're not under the same law. And they, well, what are Romans? They're Gentiles. They're what we are, unless you're of Jewish descent. But here in the cross, we see this, this one symbol, and we don't worship the cross. The, the cross is not an idol for us. It's a reminder of what Jesus did. But here we see, it's, it's kind of like this thing that you, that you stick in the ground at the one point where everything comes together. You know, those circles where you will have three circles that overlap, and then there's a one point in the middle where everything overlaps. It's kind of like that where, where the cross is just put right in the middle of that. Because the Jews are the ones that wanted Jesus to be crucified. The Jews are the ones that pushed Jesus' death on the Romans, and the Romans came up and followed it up. The Jews pushed for Jesus' death, and the Gentiles killed him on the cross. The Jews wanted Jesus dead, but the Gentiles are the ones that killed him. You see, it's all of us involved in the redemption story. It doesn't matter if you if you are a Jew or not, it doesn't matter if you think you're under the Old Testament law or not, it doesn't matter because we're all guilty of crucifying Jesus on the cross. It doesn't matter if we, if we have, uh, if we have uh, the blood of Abraham in our system, which I was thinking about that as I was saying that, and we probably all do. I don't, I don't know how... May, uh, that's a different discussion. You can ask Jim about that. <laughs> um, Whatever blood is running through our veins, whatever the history, whatever our ancestry, it all leads back to the beginning where we disobeyed God in the garden. And so whether you connect to Adam and Eve, whether you connect to the Jewish heritage or the Gentile heritage, we're all guilty of crucifying Jesus on the cross with our sins, every single one of us. And it was a painful death. It was a humiliating death. Romans chapter 2 talks about how he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. He knew what had to be done. He knew the, the price that had to be paid. He knew the ransom that we, that we needed to be set free from the bondage of sin. And it cost blood, and it cost the blood of the perfect sacrifice. He knew that's what it was, and he stepped into the mess, and he gave it to us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
So every time we stop and we celebrate communion, that's what we're celebrating. We're remembering the sacrifice. We remember on that, on that night, Jesus was breaking bread with his disciples. And it was going to be a reminder of how, how his body would literally be broken. His body would be destroyed. His body would be beaten and abused. He was reminding them of that. He was giving them something to remember that, that this sacrifice that you're about to see, this, this thing you're about to watch, that you're about to see go down, is, is done for me and you. It's done for me and you. And then he takes the cup, the cup of wine, and he talks about the new covenant that he's establishing. The old covenant is fulfilled now. It's all full. The new covenant is a covenant with Jesus and his blood. The new covenant is the covenant of the ransom. The new covenant is the covenant of the redeemed. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. And now, instead of working to earn our salvation, we receive salvation and we work out the joy of our salvation. So we're going to stop for a minute and take communion together. I just want you to think about where you are. Maybe you're in a place where you need that redemption. Maybe you know without a doubt that you're in bondage to something awful and you need Jesus to step in front of the slave master and set you free. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you've just been holding on to and, and even though you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've received that redemption from time to time, you find yourself in shackles to it even though the shackles are no longer there. Maybe there's, there's something that, that you just can't give up and you know, maybe there's just some sin that you're just holding on to and even though you've been set free from it, you keep your hands locked in the shackles of it. Maybe that's where you are and you still need to understand God's grace and the freedom that you have. Maybe you've just become apathetic and you just take this, this grace thing for granted. Maybe you're just, you're just satisfied with the life that you have and, and you don't really stop and think that much about how amazing what Jesus, did on the Christ, Jesus Christ did on the cross was and, and you just take it for granted every day and we need to stop and we need to beg forgiveness for taking that lightly. Or maybe you're here and you're just so thankful that you want to worship God. Wherever we are, we just have to look back and remember the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and look on our redemption. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, passed it to his disciples and said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. He took the cup of wine, the cup that would represent the blood of his body that would be spilled out and poured out for us. This said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. I'm making a new covenant with you. Take and drink. Do in remembrance of me.
Let's pray for a minute. We're not quite done, but I just want to stop and pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you stepped in front of the slave master and set us free. I thank you that it is for freedom that you set us free and that we have the opportunity to live at peace with you. Father, in any area of my life, any area of our life where we have chosen to step back into that bondage, reveal that to us and and show us that we're already set free and we just need to walk in the freedom that you've given to us. Show us to ways that we can stop putting our hands out to be shackled, but to just walk hand in hand with our Savior. Use your word to illuminate a little more of our path every day and show us how you want us to walk. And Father, help us to live in your freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to to wrap things up here, I'm going to tie all of this together into into one thing. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's where we just stopped there for just a minute. God put all of the sin and all the wrath that that was due us on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ became sin, who had no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, and the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, 45. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For he rescued us. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians 1, 13 and 14. See, he reached in and he rescued us. He redeemed us. He paid the ransom. He paid the price. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom of the Son he loves, the kingdom of light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it is for that freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. See, Jesus set us free so that we could live in freedom, not so that we could constantly go back to our old slave master and find the bondage of the slavery that we once lived in. He set us free for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it is in this freedom that we need to stand firm and not let ourselves again be burdened by that yoke of slavery, by that burden of slavery, by the bondage of slavery. See, this freedom came at a great price. It actually took the Son of God dying on a cross in our place. This freedom that Christ has given us, this freedom that we, that we now have the choice to walk in every day if we choose to believe in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, this freedom had a great price. And so we should not, under any circumstances, choose to walk under the slavery we once lived in. Instead, we become slaves to righteousness. We become slaves to Christ Jesus. We become slaves to our new master, and we just say, whatever you have for me. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What is it that you have in store for me? See, it's not, it's not freedom from all rules and all, all the things that we think that we're under bondage to now that we put Christianity as this label of being the rules and, and the law. 
It's not freedom from that. It's as so we, we're free to live in that. God isn't setting us free from, from the burden of morality. God is setting us free to live in morality. God is, God is giving us peace. He's giving us peace that, 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 was, that was destroyed back in the garden. He's giving us this peace that we've longed for, that we've ached for, that we've hoped so long that we can have. He's given us peace. And when we understand the peace of God, when we understand the heart of God, when we understand the passion of God, we understand that the passion and the burden of God is to live in His way, and that is where we find life and happiness. It's where we find joy. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Two questions. Um, We're going to stop and one of the things we've been doing throughout the course of this series is, is spending some time in some discussion groups. Um, can be a little bit intimidating, but if you, uh, if you want to share, you can share. If you don't want to share, you don't have to share. Well, there are two questions. You'll need to write them down. Actually, they're on the second page of your notes on the application section. If you're not comfortable sharing, I would encourage you to take this time and uh, maybe answer those questions for yourself on that sheet of paper. These are the questions. What have you been set free from that you still live like you're enslaved to? What have you been set free from that you're still living like you're enslaved to? Are you living like God made you good? Or like he brought you back from the dead? Are you living like God made you good? Or are you living like he brought you back from the dead? The two are fundamentally different, and I hope you can see the difference. That Christ didn't just die to make bad people good, he died to make dead people live. Would you kind of just turn your chairs around and, uh, and talk about that for a few minutes if you feel like it, if you want to talk about that? No, no requirement to talk about that. And we'll close with a couple of songs here in just a minute. See, just like in, uh, in Shawshank Redemption, see, Andy had to go through the, the tunnel of mess to find his redemption. The amazing difference between Andy Dufresne finding his redemption from Shawshank and the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ is that instead of us being the one that has to crawl through the tunnel of mess, Jesus Christ did it for us. Instead of us having to crawl through the tunnel to find our redemption, Jesus crawled through the tunnel on our behalf and gives us redemption So I just, you know, wherever you are this morning, we're going to uh, close with a couple of songs. We'll take our offering in between the, or during the last song. And if maybe you've never believed, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've never taken that step, there's a card in front of you and there are some check boxes on the back of it. Um, I would encourage you to, to just turn that card into the offering here in a few minutes and, and just say, say whatever it is you want help with or whatever it is you want to talk with someone about. I'm going to be at the back. Kenan is at the back. Jim will be walking around so you can kind of get an idea of someone to talk to. 
Um, if you want to talk to somebody this morning, I would encourage you to do that this morning. We can, we can lead you in that decision, that, that step of starting your journey with Jesus Christ for the first time. But where, wherever you are, no matter where you sit, what I hope that you hear out of this message of redemption is hope. Last week we talked about how we as a church have the greatest hope to offer anyone, and what would it look like if we as a church rallied around that hope? And I hope that as we go through this, the rest of this module in the next couple weeks, and we really understand just how amazing this thing called grace is, that the thing that, that brings us together, the thing that is our rallying point, the thing that is our battle cry for our church here in this community of Hazeldell and the place that God has placed us, the thing that we hold on to at the middle of everything that we do as a church is hope, this hope that Jesus Christ offers, this eternal hope. It's not a hope that is based on what we can do and perform and function. It's based on the work that is already done in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that this world so desperately needs because there's a lot of mess in the world right now. There's a lot of mess going on around us, and there's a lot of opportunities for us to go in and find places to get our hands dirty and to get covered in the mess. And we are called, we are required by God to do that so that we can show them the light, the hope, the redemption that Jesus has to offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for all the things that you have offered to us that we didn't have to earn salvation, but that you give it freely to us and that it is for that freedom that you've set us free. Father, help us to live in that freedom. Help us to, to no longer wander back to the bondage of, of the yoke of slavery that we used to be carried and tied to, but Father, help us to find ways to shake that yoke off, to, to set ourselves uh, in, in front of you and in front of your throne and in front of your grace on a daily basis and, and to humble ourselves and be obedient to what you want us to be obedient to, to find our new hope and our new salvation in the message and the words of Jesus Christ and the gospel that he has and to shake off all of those things from the past. We know that you have given us that freedom. Help us to live in it. When we get tangled up in it, help us to come back to you for grace. If we've never taken that step for the first time, Father, I pray for boldness. I pray that you would give someone boldness this morning that may be looking, that may be wondering what this Jesus thing is all about. Give them that boldness to take that step and to follow you. But wherever we are, wherever we, we find ourselves this morning, Father, fill us with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his salvation and his work on the cross so that we might go out of this place in a few minutes and go into the community that you've put us, put us in and the life that you've put us in and the place that you've put us so that we can shine the hope of Jesus Christ into it. In Jesus' name, amen.